Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And this is episode 124. 124. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, um, go ahead and send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. kbmakel at aol.com. Or you can leave them on the comments section of Podbean. So, here we are after Christmas, and, you know, most of the podcasters have, you know, they kind of put out stuff. Um, There's been some gun news, though, that they've really, as just as a whole, have ignored. And the first piece of news we have is, I'll go with the most fun first. A Colt is going to bring out a 3-inch edition of the Python. Which, from what I understand, it takes about a year to get a python now. So, it's going to be a while before you get a python, but order it now and you might have it by next Christmas. Uh, You know, here's what I think about that. I think it's great. I think the 4.25 barrel that was made for, you know, so they could export them to Canada. I thought that was kind of a cop-out. So, I like seeing something shorter that's, you know, compliant with U.S. laws and doesn't take foreign laws into account. I probably would have thought a two and a half inch barrel python would have been a better idea, but a half inch isn't a real big deal. And you do get that a little more of the classic python look. So three inch barrel, it'll it'll be okay. We'll see how it how it goes. Um my my worry is that this would delay, if not forestall, the reintroduction of a Colt Diamondback which would complete the snake line now that they're making the anaconda the python of course and then the diamondback and the king cobra so they would have all their snakes back in production but a small you know but a shorter barrel python uh, might might delay if not um, absolutely cancel the chances of a having a, a diamondback come back out so hey we'll see how it goes but i think it's good it shows you revolvers are happening and there's a very good reason for that they're good guns they're powerful guns and they're what a lot of people want people you know the 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 market is not just paddle safety polymer framed pistols there's still a lot of room and a lot of um, good uses good tactical uses sound reasons to use a great revolver and the uh, the python is really proving that the next piece of news is a little bit more confusing uh, and this kind of crept up on everybody i don't know it's because you know shot show isn't what it used to be and, and all these other things but i don't know if you're aware of the 30 super carry okay and if you remember probably six eight months maybe even over a year ago um we discussed our friend of the podcast had some 32 french long pistols model 1935 pistols and he was very generous and allowed me to uh, fire one of them and i commented at the time that you know this was a very interesting pistol it it kind of and a very interesting cartridge it kind of wound up as a dead end but it it was interesting and and you could see where there could be some future application for it maybe maybe it wasn't a complete dead end 
or it was certainly had some potential that other cartridges like the wonderful eight millimeter Nambu <laughs> and a lot of these other you know eight millimeter 32 30 caliber cartridges just didn't have so you know eight millimeter Moisin Nagant revolver the one that you know the gas seal whole deal you know that whole deal 32 French long it's it's for its size it's reasonably powerful it's very controllable nice to shoot it's got a lot of attributes so I, I was very surprised though to see that the 30 super carry is out because frankly I don't know that it's gonna have any advantage and in fact if you look at any of the places where it's discussed they basically said it's you know it's it, it may as well it's gonna join the ranks of the 45 gap and the 357 sig it's going to um essentially become they might as well have put winchester short magnum after a wssm after it <laughs> because it's, it's going to be just a, a niche cartridge that again i object to these because how many more new cartridge variations do we need you know when you go you go into a big box store whether it's a cabela's or a shields or you know the partner of cabela's bass pro shops or any a large gun shop you know it's it's rather than seeing 12 boxes of 38 special you see two boxes and then you see you know there's so many calibers they have to stock that there's just one or two boxes for each and i think when we come when we talk about ammo shortages again that means some things are going to be in shortage a lot longer than other things are because there's so many different cartridges to make so many more assembly lines they have to retool to produce a different cartridge and all of that takes time and you know so i don't know that introducing a new cartridge especially in this environment is particularly smart um but they've done it anyway apparently smith and wesson is making some variant of the shield for this um and, and the big here's the big deal it's supposedly and it supposedly will breach the gap between the 380 and the nine millimeter like that was needed i guess somebody needed that i don't know who but somebody needed that uh it can hold in the same space two more cartridges if you have a 15 shot magazine it'll hold 17 of these again i'm not really sure who needs that um i think in a lighter polymer framed gun you're going to have some ugly potentiality for ugly recoil because it's pushing out 115 grain bullet at some somewhere around 1100 feet per second and, and you know there's so much different data out there who knows but uh, I'm just uh, I, I'm very skeptical I think that um, it's going to be another 327 federal magnum what was the other one there's another one I can't even remember um, that uh, was another kind of three to three wasn't it a 32 H&R magnum yeah that was the one you know it's going to be like that it's going to be there's going to be guns available for it they may not be that widespread but they'll be out there and they're going to be hellaciously difficult to find ammunition for um, in just a few years because everybody's going to dump this now here's the other fly in the ointment with this um, 
a lot of people will say that well it's because now we have better powders and better bullets that we can produce a much more effective cartridge that you know if they tried this a hundred years ago which they sort of did um, but we can produce it better now because we have better powder and better bullets unfortunately uh, 50 of the better powder and bullet combos in 38 super carry is gonna set you back about 50 bucks um, well no it let me see I got that backwards uh, 50 of them will run you over 30 bucks so it'll be by you know that's gonna be in the 30s so you're gonna pay about a buck and a half around for for these things that's just way it goes um, you know I mean when you get the really high-end stuff will be a buck around or buck and a half around um, right now it's just under that so if you can get 50 for 30 bucks you're you know you're it's about 80 cents around I suppose but that's gonna be expensive stuff and there isn't gonna be ball ammunition you're not gonna be able to pick up tall ammo or PPU or or find any surplus for this it's you're gonna be shooting the high-end stuff which means it won't get shot as much I don't see a competition use for it and, and frankly its only value as a concealed carry uh, gizmo is that you know it's something different but here's the third fly in the ointment with this um, you know the the fact of the matter is concealed carry guns normally have short barrels so how much of the advertised performance are you going to receive out of the pitifully short barrels that are on these guns and you know they have the same problem with nine millimeter too and uh, same problem in 32 acp and 380 auto and whatever else they want to stuff into uh, a small short barrel I mean, even in the revolver world, it's pretty much accepted that if you have two guns that are identical, one has a two and a half inch barrel and the other has an eight inch barrel, the eight inch barrel gun will have significantly higher velocity. Uh, we, we don't accept that very much in the auto pistol world. We always kind of say that nine mil is nine mil is nine mil, um, regardless of how short the barrel is. And so, I think there needs to be, you know, some very, and, and what all those differences are, you know, really should be shaken out by some tests. And uh, it'd be interesting to see if any of the, uh, uh, the big, the deep pockets decide to actually do a test. Uh, some of the content creators try, you know, they chronograph these things out of the actual guns that they would be fired in, not test barrels or not, you know, long barreled versions of something and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how that all changes um, you know it's one of those things warm up the popcorn because it's gonna start and the memes are already making fun of it so we'll see how we'll see how this all goes uh, the next thing oh we have a question that popped up is anyone going to make this is from our friend clown bear is anyone going to make or reintroduce the remington 700 rifle and if so who well as far as i know i think remington is still kind of you know they've reorganized what whatever all this nonsense is with them uh they will somehow emerge 
they will somehow be involved and they will produce the Remington 700. It's too good a design. Really almost every modern rifle is a descendant of the 700 and the 700 itself is, is an outstanding um, it's an outstanding action. Um, and in fact, you know, it was Remington's greatest rifle triumph and probably greatest curse because they've been dragged into court a couple of times over the triggers. The first time they kind of fixed the trigger, then the fix apparently didn't work so well. So, you know, they started, uh, they had to redo it again. And then they, um, I think, put, you know, kind of lawyer triggers that were a lot heavier and not really marksman triggers in there. Uh, ones that were over-engineered for safety so they didn't get yanked into court a third time. And, uh, you know, I, I think they should have actually gone with one of the tried-and-true aftermarket trigger manufacturers and just bought triggers from them, sucked it up, buy triggers from them, and I think they would have been um, a lot happier and had a lot better product in the long run. So, uh, I But I think the, the 700 is too good. Even if it's a... I have an ADL that's that's years old thing is 50 years old now and uh you know it's it's a great rifle for what it is it's a great rifle and you can take that action and you could put a heavy 24 26 inch barrel on it and you know that thing would be a great target gun today with just a barrel swap and a you know probably a better stock to you know put it on some sort of a chassis or something um you know, but the, the the bones, the basic design of the gun is essentially very, very sound. Where they started to go off the rails was when they made, what was it, the 798 and the 710. The, you know, we've gone into the, we've gone into the era of kind of disposable guns. We'll talk about this a little later too, maybe. You know, where they had the, the guns that you really can't change the barrel on. So if you have, a, I think it's the 798, and I think the other one was the 710. You shoot the barrel out, and, and hey, you know, the gun's just no good anymore. And they did that so they could sell them at quite a low price point. And you you would see these things, eh, it's going back 10 years maybe, but you would see them in Walmarts and other places, very attractively priced, usually offered with a scope combo. And the market they were they were after is not the rifleman who's going to shoot 20,000 rounds out of the thing and then be mad because he can't rebarrel it. It's for the guy who shoots 10 rounds a year um, deer hunting. You know, maybe he, maybe he confirms his zero with five rounds and then he shoots uh, four or five during rounds during the season. And that gun's never going to wear out. Look how many guns that never wear out barrels. You know, there are guns from the uh, 1800s that are still around, still have their original barrels in them and haven't worn them out. So it's really a roll of the dice that, hey, the, the people we sell this to are never going to wear out a barrel. And and if they do, it'll be 100 years from now and nobody will care by then. So anyway, the uh, um, they, they kind of drifted away with that. The, the, the absolute quality and absolute greatness of the Remington 700 um, I'm, I'm really hoping that continues it you know they should own the precision rifle market instead they they've sort of given it away to custom guys and also semi-custom you know small batch manufacturers but the uh, the 700 will hold its own in in many many ways 
choo 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 that's about it for all the gun industry news it's really amazing um there, there's some podcast stuff that's out there that you know the usual silliness um making fun of the m21 sniper rifle for elbonia um you know they've never been on the serious side of using a weapon so you know they don't appreciate that the m14's reliability and accuracy as a battle rifle translated reasonably well to a sniper rifle and even better when it had modern enhancements like um, a good chassis good trigger and really good sights so uh, you know the hate for the m14 is really very unjustified it is without doubt the greatest battle rifle I mean when you shoot it next to the FAL iron sight wise as issued you know in the <laughs> in 1960 if you were 1965 you take you take the uh, the m14 the FAL and the H and kg3 and I like all three of these rifles and make no mistake you cannot go far wrong choosing any of them but when it comes to just shooting the rifle with iron sights the m14 is is i think the best the other ones are good but they're not quite as good now where the other ones really shine which they never really were fully recognized for was they they do mount optics especially in a modern sense a little bit better and so when you're if you're going to put optics on it the assault rifle modern stocks that you find on an FAL and a G3 are much much more conducive to mounting a scope so you know it's a trade-off but the M14 when it's dolled up especially with modern enhancements um, they may still some be some out there I mean I know there was the global war on terror they were shaking the trees to find them and uh, get them conditioned and get them out to the troops because they were invaluable places like Iraq and Afghanistan it was a great weapon to have okay so now we're going to go into what is perhaps my favorite part um, which is questions and answers and I've got a bunch of these that have, that have kind of stacked up uh, over the holidays and we certainly weren't expecting anything like the third like the 30 super carry to become uh, some news so you know here we go um, the first question and I got this and I think I've actually talked somewhat about this before but I'll, I'll uh, go ahead and give the uh, submitter a break here what is the greatest rifle cartridge of all time in my mind um, you know that there's a there's a whole bunch of you really have to talk about for what purpose hunting military you know so my answer is a combination of both the greatest cartridge of all time is clearly the 30-06 it is so excellent that it's just become passe people don't get excited when they see a 30-06 it's so common that um, you know it's it's just kind of become this standard that people use it can kill anything on the North American continent even you know on the upper end the, uh, the large bears it can kill them uh, the 30-06 a great in its day a great target cartridge in its day a great military cartridge in both rifles machine guns aircraft use mounted on vehicles uh, squad automatic weapon like the BAR 
rifles like the M1 Garand, you know, absolutely fantastic cartridge. And, and essentially, it made a lot of other cartridges obsolete. Now, you know, uh, 303 Savage, that's just one I can think of. 300 Savage, that's another one. <laughs> it's picking on Savage. 3040 Crag, uh, even, even 30 Caliber Remington. You know, the only cartridge that really gave it a run for its money was 3030 because of the uh, kind of kind of uh, carbines that it was chambered in and it had lighter recoil but basically it made a whole slew of rifle cartridges effectively obsolete and right after world war one 30-06 just became a standard and it really remains so today i mean if you want to hunt if you want to hunt i mean guys will argue ballistics and all this other stuff if you really want an easy answer to everything and have the most versatile big game rifle out there you you buy a 30-06 and you call it good you know and part of the beauty of the 30-06 is ammunition is still widely if they've got ammunition they've probably got some 30-06 almost a guarantee so greatest rifle cartridge of all time 30-06 uh greatest pistol cartridge of all time that's a little harder. A lot of people would say 9mm Parabellum because of its widespread use. I will go against that. I, I won't say that. I will say that it's it's widely used because it's good but not great. A cartridge that really came out and was great in its day, and its day lasted for 80 or 90 years, was 38 Special. Again, not a very exciting cartridge i mean when we think of oh that that's in that's a 38 that's a 38 it got to be where there were a whole class of 38 cartridges and the 38 special made them obsolete 38 long colt 38 short colt um what is that other one <laughs> the uh, 38 smith and wesson you know all of those all those were basically you know done when the 38 special came out after a few years 38 special was everywhere so that if you went anywhere and somebody asked you what caliber is that well that's a 38 they just assumed it was a 38 special uh, if it was a 38 something else uh, you usually specified that but a 38 was a 38 special it was the father of the 357 magnum it was a police staple up until the 1980s and a little bit beyond that but not much but it's still a great cartridge today. The 38 is a wonderful cartridge to have and use. And uh, not everyone is really appreciative of that. It, it's become this uh, cliche kind of, yeah, it's just sort of boring. Just sort of like the, the Smith & Wesson Model 10 pistol, you know, the or revolver, the uh, K, the K frame with the fixed sights. Nobody really pays much attention to it. But that's because it's so good and it's everywhere. Just influence and the amount of uses it had is both police, sporting, military. Um, awful hard to beat. Awful hard to beat. Okay, the next question. Very interesting. Are the M17 and M18 pistols 
good duty weapons? The, the answer is I don't know. I've never been issued one, obviously. I'm retired, so I don't, I'm not going to get my hands on one unless I buy one. I have no, no, uh, um, need or want or desire to do so. Um, you know, they're nice pistols. They look okay to me. I, my comment with them is, and this is a very jaded kind of backward comment, but I just, when I look, when somebody asks me what I think of them, the thought that goes through my mind is, 80 to 100 years from now, the CMP will not be selling these things as surplus. Um, we're in the era of the disposable pistol. That's that's, And I mean disposable by it's going to have a service life, and that service life is going to end, and it's gone. It's not going to be as enduring as the all-steel, you know, those the pistols of the wonderful 1911s. And there are a lot of other ones from around the world from that era that were made out of the highest quality ordnance steel and just still keep shooting just still keep shooting you know it's it's uh you know 100 year old lugers still shoot 100 year old 1911s still shoot 100 years from now what is an M17 or M18 going to look like if it's been in continuous or or periodic use i would assume that it won't be there because it will have reached its life cycle and and been gone um you know, we started seeing that with the Walther P1s. You know, they basically said these things are going to last five, six thousand rounds, and and they actually last a little longer than that. But you know, they knew that it had a certain service life, and at the end of that, it would just be disposed of. That's that was the plan with those um, Berettas, Beretta M9s. Um, I've seen some of those that have been through two rebuilds and they're they're pretty rough looking uh, i've seen 1911s that have been through two rebuilds and shoot they look they look practically new so uh that's that's what it is even the aluminum frame guns don't stand up nearly as well as the steel ones do okay is 6.8 the new u.s army rifle and machine gun round you know i keep i keep seeing things saying it is and then i don't see a lot of things saying it is so um, I think they've adopted it I think it's I think they're making some the military as a whole may be making some mistakes the mistakes I will say they are probably making are if you have too many cartridges in use at one time and you have a major demand then you're gonna have trouble and the special operations guys are, are kind of doing this too. You know, they've got 6.5 Creedmoor sniper rifles, and they've got a whole they've got a whole groups of, of specialized weapons they can use. They can kind of get away with that, but if you get even an uptick like uh, uh, the the 2003 invasion of Iraq, um, you know, if you only have to produce two calibers, 7.62 by 51 NATO and 556 NATO your life is a lot easier than if you have well we have half the people are using 556 we've got special mission or we have a high priority units that have this 6.8 and then we've got SOCOM with a whole laundry list of things you're asking our industrial base 
to support a lot of different small arms ammunition. And that's not even talking about what are we doing with pistols? What are we doing here, there, and everywhere? And all the other munitions that we have to produce. Even something like the Iraq invasion of, not, of 2003, which was a lot smaller than the uh, 1991 uh, Iraq war or, you know, Desert Storm. Uh, Desert Storm, you know, we put we put a lot of divisions. We, we took basically 7th Army and stripped it bare and sent two corps, 5th Corps and 7th Corps, and each one had a couple of divisions under it. Um, we sent those to the Middle East, and we had to use a lot of war stock of ammunition. And that's the, that's the other side of the coin, is when you adopt a new caliber, it's not just, do we have enough to train with, and do we have enough... You know, if we have to go liberate Grenada, that's that's not the issue. The issue is, do we have the war stock in case we get into protracted combat with a near-peer adversary? You know, a China, something like that. So do we have those kind of war stocks? And I would say the answer, it takes a few years to build that up. So the answer is no. So I think the if, if they do decide to go whole whole hog through this it will be different i think they can get away with it if they just keep it as a squad automatic round and you know because we used to do that we used to carry basically an m60 in every squad uh, so you could get away with that and then you de-emphasize 7.62 nato and so you can kind of get away with that but i don't know that that we're in the uh, mode of equipping all of our military and having the stocks go up right now. So we'll see how it how it goes. Okay, here's our next question. How do you decide the amount of add-ons, silencers, lasers, and lights for an AR? Well, you know, the, the point is there, there are Geardos out there who... back and say what am I basically using this for and what can I afford do you need the $700 night laser you know infrared laser on the end of this thing even if you're running around with nods do you need that um, nods being night observation devices you know usually the goggle type thing and sometimes a scope I mean but do you actually need that uh, do you need the light what do you, what is it you can foresee yourself using and what is it you can't and I'm a minimalist guy I I believe that the less you put on there the better I have um, one AR it's it's an AR carbine and it has nothing on it it has iron sights and that's it that's it no lights no no whiz bangs no nothing and it's a very uncomplicated very nice gun to use and you know a lot of AKs were the same way you know it's a simple simple sight everything on it is simple and it's easy to use and when things are going very very bad the adrenaline's flowing and you know having something simple and familiar to use is quite good um, yes a lot of special mission guys and a lot of high-speed operators and all this have all this other kind of stuff on it, but they train with it continually. They're experts at it. They get paid to do that. Um, so I don't know. I I would just say that it depends. You know, if you need a light, if you're in an environment where you think you're going to need a light, 
then go ahead and put it on. But I'm a minimalist guy. I don't put anything on unless there's an absolute reason for it. Okay, next question. And I'm not going to answer this. What is the process for making black powder at home? And the answer is, I even if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Um, I would never put out information that could cause people to lose fingers and thumbs and arms and legs and eyes and ears or whatever whatever else. Um, making black powder is inherently a hazardous undertaking. It has been done. There are YouTube, I believe, YouTube videos, um, and it can be done. And you know, I would say consult that. But if you're serious about it, consult somebody who actually does it and see what their safety protocols are. Um, I know there's some a surge in interest with this because apparently GoEx, the big U.S. producer of black powder, is shutting its doors pending some sort of sale. Why that is happening, I do not know, but apparently it is, so we just have to just deal with it. And... Uh, um, but I think the best way to deal with it is try to source it from somewhere else and not try to make your own. I'm just not a big fan of trying to make my own black powder. Okay, next question. Are revolvers good or bad choice for women? And the answer is it doesn't matter because it's all about new shooter, proficient shooter, all that. It doesn't matter if they're men or women. Usually a new shooter usually a new shooter in the United States un unless you're Alec Baldwin little more expensive now than they used to be but they offer excellent value and uh, offer excellent service so I think they are a good choice for a whole lot of people uh, especially newer people but even even somebody who's very experienced may prefer a revolver uh, as a daily carry or as the occasional use gun and we've talked about power we've talked about all that stuff so that's it Okay, what was Supervel Ammo? Supervel Ammo was a brand that came out in, I keep wanting to say late 60s, but I think early 70s. That's, that's when it was really well known. Supervel Ammo was an attempt, and it was a very, very good attempt, to make high-performance handgun ammo, the kind you see now from Buffalo Bore and, and some of the other custom manufacturers who, who make uh, 
um, plus P plus P plus type ammunition. Uh, it was designed for predominantly the self-defense market, presumably also the hunting market, I suppose, but predominantly a self-defense market um, designed to offer higher performance ammunition. And it was very successful in doing that. I think the company eventually went out of business because, you know, a lot of people are cheap. And if, if 50 rounds of ammunition cost you twice as much, a lot of people will go with the cheaper option because to many people, ammo is ammo and that's the way it is. So it, it, was, a, it was an early attempt at high-end, high-performance ammunition. It ultimately failed, but it was, had an excellent reputation. Um, it was excellent ammo. And uh, you see it now. It's all collector ammo now. And even the box, even the boxes were cool. I mean, yeah, Supervel was the good stuff. I mean, uh, I'm sorry to see it gone. I think, I think the brand has kind of been, they've toyed with kind of reintroducing it. as a subsidiary of something else that'd be great so that's what it was okay here's another question are the Thompson Lagarde tests still valid the Thompson Lagarde test for anybody who does not know and it's it's a pretty pretty obscure piece of firearms trivia were conducted in 1904 and it was done by Colonel J.T. Thompson and a major Lagardia. Ligard, was it Lagarde or Lagardia? I think it was Lagardia. And um, he was a medical corps officer. They did it in 1904. And J.T. Thompson was the guy who invented the Thompson submachine gun. And what they were looking at was specifically what caliber does a military handgun need to be? because of the poor performance of the 38 long Colt in the Philippines, uh, it brought everybody back to question, what should we adopt for the future? And this was at a very interesting time. This was when, you know, the army bought a couple of thousand Lugers in the 765 Lugers, 30 caliber Lugers, we call them, and, and put them through field trials and, and the troops liked them. And they, they, they were okay. You know, to go to field trials like that was, was really remarkable. And so, you know, there are U.S. Lugers. Um, there are U.S. military Lugers. And one of the rare items is the holsters that went with them that are marked U.S. And very, very cool. Um, you know, it came kind of close to... We could have fought in World War One with 30 caliber Lugers against 9mm Lugers the other guys had. So, But anyway... Um, they there were a lot of different a lot of different uh, cartridges out there so they tested basically um 45 caliber cartridge against the you know the british 455 ely the 38 auto they didn't have 38 super then they had 38 auto which looked the same but was not loaded to higher to the higher pressure and they tried that in a hollow hollow point and uh um FMJ. They also, as I'm remembering, tried 38 long colt, 38 short colt, and a few other things. 
So they had this collection of cartridges, essentially a few 30 cart 38 caliber cartridges, about half a dozen of those, maybe a couple 30 cal a couple 30 caliber cartridges. They had 9mm parabellum, and then they had a couple of 45 cartridges. And they went and they did testing on live animals at the Chicago stockyards, I think. And they shot um, they shot cattle, they shot horses, they shot pigs. They used ballistic pendulums. They shot cadavers. They did all this. Now again, this was 1904, so a lot of people kind of poo-poo, going, "Well, the scientific method wasn't that great. They didn't have the, you know, they didn't have this. They didn't have that." Okay, great. But for what they had, they did a very exhaustive testing. Um, Cooper, Jeff Cooper, and Julian Hatcher thought it was a pretty good deal. They thought that they were good tests. Even later in their lives, they said, "Hey, the, these tests were well done, well conducted." And maybe that's because it fit their conclusion that essentially the large caliber, slower moving slug was a better stopper on people than the smaller and medium velocity or high velocity cartridges had proven to be. So the, the test was, you know, I, I can remember, you know, in the 70s and 80s, people were quoting those tests, you know, it's like, hey, you know, People who were advocates of the nine millimeter, the whole thing was well. According to the Thompson Lagardia tests, you know, it's it's not so good compared to the, you know, forty five ACP or or any other forty five cartridge. So, um, a lot of people used it as as an arguing point uh, for years and years and years, eighty eighty years after it was uh, um, conducted. But I haven't heard any reference to it today i mean if it hadn't been for this question i hadn't thought about it in a long time but you know it's still it's still out there i have to confess i have never read the full report i've read a couple of excerpts and the conclusions but i've never read the full thing so a lot of times people quote things and maybe they they are they don't know what they're quoting they're quoting someone else's conclusion and i might be guilty of that a little bit but they did they did say 45 caliber that new service pistol should be no less than 45 caliber they did say that and and that's a very you know very very good very very good advice it it, it worked out very very well and uh, so that that's what it was and that's where that's where the genesis of the institutional use of the 45 ACP pistol that's where it was generated from so it's really very good they're really a very good test very influential whether you agree with its methodology or not okay here's another question since you've been spending a lot of time on rural property how has that changed either the guns you carry or your views on different guns well that's very interesting uh, that that question came out of a conversation where you know I'm a Millsurp guy I'm a hundred percent Millsurp guy I love Millsurp guns uh, our friend of the podcast who you know loves Millsurp guns also uh, we we talk for hours and hours and hours on them and and uh, we shoot them and we have a great time with them I, I will say on my property where I, I go up and this is this is not Yellowstone okay this is not this is not a large piece of property but it, it's it's large enough so that um, 
there are wild animals and other things around there. Nothing, nothing really exciting, but there are a few things. I hate to say this, but I've kind of gone from tactical to a little more practical. And it's kind of going back a little bit. Hey, the, the 22 rifle has reemerged as a very, very useful thing for, you know, knocking off a few rodents or even just plinking, even just having some fun. Uh, the 22 rifle has resurfaced, something that I haven't used too much of in, in the past, past years. So that's come up. Another thing that has come out is the quasi kind of hunting rifle. The, the 3030 is a really good weapon to have. I mean, there's not a real threat from two-legged varmints, and there's precious small threat from anything four-legged. But, you know, a 3030 is an excellent, excellent gun to have, uh, as is a 45 or 44 caliber revolver. Just to tell a quick story, uh, our neighbors have cattle, and the cattle broke through the fence, the bulls did, and this kind of ornery bull was on our on our property and you know when i went out to confront this ornery bull and and kind of check out and see what he was doing you know i had a 3030 because i know a 3030 will put him down um would an ar do it well you know maybe but i don't really trust 556 on a thousand pound plus animal uh 3030 i know will do it because i've seen it done before 30-06 might have been better, but 30-30, very easy to uh, to to um, carry, and 150 grain, soft point ammo, you know, it's all really good, it's all really good, and I had a 45 caliber revolver, my 45 auto rim, you know, and, uh, you know, when you read some of the accounts of people like Elmer Keith and those, those kind of guys, Skeeter Skelton, who were you know, actually working cattle, working on a ranch, you know, they, they used a lot of these types of weapons. It wasn't, you know, they didn't have an FNFAL out there to shoot a, you know, potentially horrible bull that's going to gonna attack them or something. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you kind of go from tactical to a little more practical. It's, that's a bit about the only thing that I've, that I've really learned and, uh, so I will pass that on that, uh, you know, another thing that's uh, really good is in between the 22 and the uh, um, 3030 is pistol caliber carbines are very, very useful. Uh, not so much the 9mm or 45, but the uh, 3840 lever gun. That's a great, great thing to have. It's got enough power and range. Uh, so if you got to take out a few trash pandas that are that are tearing stuff up, you can you can do it. It's not overkill and it's not underkill. So it's uh, a lot more powerful than a 22, but you're not firing you know 5.56 around your place. Now I still keep my trusty you know AR around because uh, you know frankly it's a great gun and there's no real substitute for it in certain situations but for just general use the kind of things that would that would happen um, lever guns are great pistol caliber carbines are great 22s are great and revolvers are great so there there you go well that's it for this edition of old school guns 
And again, if you have any comments, you can leave them at Podbean or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com and we will get to them the next podcast. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>